I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending November 13th. Election Day in the United States has come and gone, but the election process is dragging on and on, largely because the process of counting votes is dragging on and on. Specifically, the process of counting ballots that were mailed in. We are going to devote this whole episode to one topic. We're going to take a look at voting by mail from two directions, from the technological perspective and from the policy point of view. Today, we speak with Greg Council from Periscript, a company that provides the automated signature verification systems used by several jurisdictions in the United States to assure the integrity of the vote-by-mail process. And we also have a conversation with lawyer and public policy expert Portia Allen-Kyle about making sure that technology such as Periscripts work the way they're supposed to work. Today, voting in America. The people of this nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory, a convincing victory, a victory for we the people. We've won with the most votes ever cast on presidential ticket in the history of the nation. 74 million. What I must admit has surprised me Tonight, we're seeing all over this nation, all cities and all parts of the country, indeed across the world, an outpouring of joy, of hope, renewed faith, and tomorrow, bring a better day. And I'm humbled by the trust and confidence you've placed in me. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. Politics in America have always been contentious. The Founding Fathers were never all in full, harmonious agreement. Politicians in succeeding generations certainly weren't either. Divisive political arguments are the norm, not the exception. What is not all that common, however, is when the election process itself is the political issue. When mechanical and electromechanical voting machines started getting replaced by fully electronic systems, we created a security problem. For the last 30 years, white hat hackers have been demonstrating how easy it can be to hack some of these machines. Now, we haven't heard too much about voting machines getting hacked this election cycle. Instead, the brouhaha has been about voting by mail. The military first used voting by mail in the Civil War and resumed the practice during World War II. Starting in the mid-1970s, California, Oregon, and Washington began experimenting with voting by mail. These days, in the modern military, voting by mail is now a common option available to members posted away from home. Most of the 50 states now offer voting by mail under at least some circumstances. In the year 2000, Oregon went completely vote by mail, followed by a few other states, including Washington and Colorado. Voting by mail works. 
when there's been any fraud detected, it has been negligible. One of the reasons we know that there is negligible fraud is because mailed ballots can be tracked, and once received by elections offices, several of the jurisdictions that have implemented voting by mail have adopted signature verification systems as a backstop. And now, along comes 2020, with both an election and an epidemic that makes voting in person a health risk. The obvious remedy was greater adoption of vote by mail. Long experience with safe and secure voting by mail, coupled with a thorough lack of evidence of fraud, did not and has not stopped the President of the United States from claiming that fraud is rampant in vote-by-mail systems. He pointlessly made voting-by-mail a political issue, and as the counting of mailed ballots in several states goes on, it remains an issue. And since it remains an issue, it got us to wondering, how do those signature verification systems actually work? And do they work the way they ought to? To answer the first question, we called up Periscript, which was founded to develop artificial intelligence and machine learning systems to handle handwriting. One of the earlier versions of the company's technology was used by Apple and its Newton personal assistant. The company has branched out into document processing systems for clients in a variety of industries, including banking and insurance. Voter ballots are just another kind of document, and the company's long history with handwriting analysis came in handy for performing signature verification for election boards. It's used by the state of Oregon and several other states and counties. Greg Council is Vice President of Marketing and Product Management at Periscript. My colleague Junko Yoshida and I caught up with him in a video conference. Here's Junko. So, Greg, you know, the first question, I think we need to understand the setup. Um, how is your technology and this piece of software being applied in the real setting of signature verification at the scene of, uh, not the crime, but at the scene <laughs> of where, where, where people are matching signature. Can you explain how is it applied and how, you know, what, how they actually compare signatures you know, on the ballot against right. what sort of, you know, official voter records, you know, let's start from there. Right, right. And it's a, it's a good place to start as well, because within the realm of machine learning, there seems to be this fixation on completely autonomous things, right? And how I'd best characterize automated signature verification, especially within the scope of vote by mail or absentee balloting, is it's more of an assistive automation, not a complete what we call straight through processing where there's no manual intervention. So in the cases where they implement or they utilize signature verification, and there, there's something like 33 states now that default to using some sort of signature matching, so to speak, and most of it is manual, but there are technologies such as ours have gradually caught on, is that they're using it to at a very a low level of tolerance. Um, I, I've characterized this before that most election officials are extremely risk averse for good measure because it, you know, the whole election process has to have zero questions about the, uh, the, you know, it's it's the realness, so to speak, or the, you know, the lack that it's completely legitimate. Um, so what they'll do is they implement the signature verification piece of it on the front end, taking in the the easiest uh, 
to process ballots. So the ones that are pretty much a chip shot, so to speak, um, allowing for a certain percentage of those ballots to be automatically processed. And then a, a larger percentage of them will be kicked out for a secondary and tertiary review using the information or the output from signature verification as part of the information. But definitely they will look at it and have one or two reviewers actually look at the signatures as well. So what it does ultimately is it allows the easy stuff, so to, so to speak, to be able to be processed automatically, which reduces the amount of, of work that they have to do. Um, and as we've seen with this recent election, uh, they were still able to get through quite a few, ba you know, a, a large amount of ballots in a relatively short amount of time. Um, but then there's still a, a reliance on us humans to also participate in this signature review process. So it's not a, a complete robotic type of thing. It's the humans with the machine learning or with the robots working um, in concert, so to speak. Right. So essentially your piece of software uh, is being used as the first pass of this uh, matching? Is that what it is? Right. In the, in most cases, and we're not privy to all of the implementation details because we do work through partners that are the ones, the organizations that, that help these counties implement the software. But in the ones where they've, and you can go and find this, the processes online, for instance, Denver here, um, Colorado is a complete uh, vote by mail state. 100% of the ballots are processed uh, in the same way. Um, while we do have, you know, the ability to go in and, and vote in person, a large percentage of the citizens here vote by mail. Um, and they use use this same process where it's a first pass, the signature verification software does an automated analysis of every single ballot. But then they have a secondary and even a tertiary process to, to deal with the, those hard cases, um, which, you know, the, the ultimate goal is to not invalidate a ballot, right? Because the amount of fraud is incredibly low. So the software really, you have to build a process that errs on, uh, you know, to be, be very cautious about invalidating a ballot too, too early in the process and causing this really lengthy and, and time-intensive curing process. Okay, so I assume that each county or each state has a different rules, but essentially, what is this software being asked to compare signature on ballots against what exactly? Yeah, um, and in fact, there was, uh, it's a really great question because uh, I heard of a story where I think it's Clark County, Nevada, there was some sort of lawsuit or question regarding the uh, the DPI or the quality of the image with which it was used to uh, to analyze. So in all cases for signature verification, we have what we call the reference signatures, which are the legitimate or authenticated signatures. And then we use those and uh, the analysis of those and compare it with what we call a candidate signature. So uh, best practices are really to use more recent signatures. So it, banks have been using signature verification software for well over 10 years. Um, and what they do is they typically will recycle signatures using more recent signatures or having a preference to do that. And they will take signatures anywhere they can to ensure that they've got a, a nice range of different types of example signatures for each account. 
Um, but when the time comes for the software to analyze the signatures, we really uh, the the best performance is with signatures that use similar DPI. So uh, all of our software is trained at a DPI between 200 and 300. It's not too high in resolution, but it's not too lossy in terms of res resolution. And so best practices are to use to have candidate signatures scanned at the same DPI level. And you, you and we do like to have reference signatures that are of matching DPI without a whole lot of data loss. Now, uh, the question regarding this specific county, and it's actually something that most counties are dealing with, is they often will take signatures for manual review from uh, DMV records, right? And these are typically uh, stored at a lossy 96 DPI. Now, we, you can use machine learning to correct for that as well. So what we did um, earlier this year is have a new release of our software, which will actually enhance the image, but also adjust down and, and basically make a, take an apples to orange issue where we've got two images at different DPIs and correct for that so that we can do a like for like. And that did have a, a very positive uh, effect in terms of you know, protecting the reliability of the software. That's really fascinating. I, I, I imagine that in most cases, um, you have a driver's license signature, you have a signature from a, a previous uh, election cycle to compare against. Um, the, the low incident cases, um, a woman who may have just gotten married or, or and anybody who just got married and may have changed their name or, you know, either change it entirely or now hyphenates or a young person who doesn't have a driver's license yet and has never voted and has no signature. Um, it's, the, it's those low incident cases that, that um, I would guess would trip up, the system. Um, what's the actual experience and, and then how do you deal with that? Yeah. And in some cases that's where, that's why humans are involved in this because it, it's all about the, the quality of the input data. Uh, we write a lot about um, access to data and the proper fitting of data to the problem that we're trying to train our algorithms for. And, you know, obviously <laughs> the whole, the whole idea of signature fraud or forgeries is such a low incident, how do you create an input, a quality input data set to train the algorithm so that it can detect forgeries across a range of types of, of use cases? So the one that you just, uh, one of the use cases that you just provided was where there's a name change, which is kind of similar to what we call an unskilled or a blind forgery, where somebody's just writing in a name. It doesn't even hap happen to even be the same name. And you can detect that, and it's not necessarily you're detecting and trying to recognize the signature and resolve it into an actual name, for instance, Greg Council, but you're, you're using things like uh, looking at the stroke and of their commonality. So it is, is entirely possible for our software to detect that even if I write um, you know, Bob Jones, that it's going to figure out that I'm the same signer as when I when it looks at my signature and that's kind of it feels and, and is really strange but it can do that uh, but that's not really what we're, we want to train our software for we want to train our software to be able to 
allow legitimate signatures to go through while you know being very careful about what we have as a as a as a positive you know because we don't want to have false positives spur up too much because that creates a whole bunch of problems right uh, but yeah in the cases where signatures change and that's a, a kind of a, a story that's been brought up a lot in the media which is you know I signed the way my signature, uh, was 10 years ago is nowhere near it, it, what it is now. Or maybe uh, somebody in older age has, um, you know, it has their signature shaking a lot more, you know, or has that type of effect to it. And there's only so much that that the software, the signature verification software can do. And that's why it's a combination of or why we always recommend that you want to consistently uh, refresh your signature, your collection of authentic signatures or, uh, you know, basically legitimate signatures as well as uh, be able to not complete, I mean, you can't completely rely on the software 100% of the time. So it's it's a, a lot of best practices. It's a lot of testing to identify the performance of the software on a, a given election or all you know, on test data that they have. And then it's a good uh, process in terms of uh, just ba- making sure that uh, you're focusing signature verification on what it does really best, you know, what it does best and where it performs best with the goal of reducing the amount of work, but it's never going to be 100% of the work reduction. Right. So, but I think this might be a good segue to ask Greg about the technology building blocks um, used inside um, Periscript signature verification uh, methods. Can you break it down for us? Well, it's proprietary, so I can't really divulge all our secrets and everything like that. But um, the team here utilizes a, a number of different algorithms, um, looking, you know, each one keying in on different features of a signature. So it's based on a lot of good forensic science. Um, it, you know, the software itself has won some international award, awards, scientific awards, where y- you have a bunch of different organizations, mostly universities, competing to try to pr- solve the problem in the most efficient, you know, most precise way. Um, and the only way to really do that is you can't rely on one single type of algorithm. So what they did is they blended a, a number of them. Uh, they like to use the word orthogonal, or you know, it's it's as if you're using a, a number of different experts, each with their own opinions, and then. On top of that, we have some voting algorithms that will then take all of these independent opinions and identify the most precise one or the most precise answer. But uh, you know, getting back to it, it's it is predominantly neural networks. Um, you know, so we, traditional ones. All, and you know, increasingly we are using deep learning neural networks, but they have weaknesses as well. But there are other machine learning algorithms that we're using there on the computer vision side that definitely rely on neural networking. Um, We've also got our own technologies involved with how we deconstruct the shapes of signatures to identify, you know, to break them down into those types of features that are then routed to a different algorithm. Uh, Ultimately, you you know, the software is always changing. So it's kind of a funny thing. One of the tests that incoming candidates for our R&D team have is they have to try to create a signature verification algorithm. And, uh, you know, occasionally they've done such a stellar job that they end up being incorporated into the product. So wow. uh, that's one way where they're always staying fresh on that. Do you automatically hire those people? Um, typically, I think they are an automatic hire. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, that's interesting. So I looked at, I actually read your white paper and uh, it, it actually goes a little bit in detail in terms of how, what exactly your software is looking at. And one of the things that struck me is that the the algorithms actually does look at the entire signature in a holistic way, just like human, very, you know, human judge would do. But at the same time, you do actually break it down in terms of, uh, you know, taking out certain segments of the uh, signature, or I think you, cre- is this a descriptive language you talked about, XE or something? Yeah, XR what elements. XR? Yeah, it yeah. is It is a kind of a, descri- it, it's basically a, I wouldn't call it a language, but it's a, a way that we deconstruct um, handwritten information. So this same, this same, a similar technique is used for our handwriting recognition, where it's a, it basically allows us or allows the algorithms to look at different types of feature sets. So it's something that the team developed, oof, you know, a couple of decades ago to solve handwriting recognition, and it's been applied to other types of handwritten information as well. But it, you're right; it it uses a holistic method. It uses uh, fragments of signatures. One of the funny uh, use cases is or stories that came up is we have our software is used in all all over the world. In one case, uh, several cases, it's used in India where. Um, it's mistakenly or often mistakenly thought of as handwriting recognition software, but we're not doing anything like trying to transcribe a signature from, you know, John Smith into the words John Smith that is, you know, ASCII or something like that. Uh, but people think of it that way, so they were, you know, asking, well, we'd like to be able to detect when the signature doesn't have their first and last name, and we have to artfully explain to them the software can't do that. It's not focused on detecting partial signatures. It's focused on identifying uh, forged signatures from authentic signatures. And we don't, in order to do that, we don't need the entire signature. So it's it's fine if it's just a first name. So because that's all we're trying to gear on is answer that question. Is this a fraudulent signature or not? Wow. Interesting. You know, but what you just said to us, um, if I if I were, uh, I'm not a lawyer, but if I'm a lawyer and <laughs> activist, uh, the one of the first things I would flag is, uh, I think it's 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 true with any AI. In essence, it 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 is a black box, yeah. and that's that's a this that's actually uh, more than a little concerning to uh, the concerned citizens. Uh, can you explain how do you actually create transparency? to the citizens as well as the um, you know municipalities that uh, adopt your technology yeah well yeah and, and explainable AI right is a is a trending interest for that very reason right uh, because they are it's hard to kind of figure out what's going on in the mind of a, of a neural network um, in our case there's not a whole lot of instrumentation that we can do. Now, certainly we have um, instrumentation that allows us to expose what features are uh, are being looked at and, and which potential things are causing the, or potentially causing the software to focus on one area or not and, and do that. Ultimately though, the real explainable piece of it is with a lot of testing. So providing test data, uh, being trying to be as transparent as possible with the the type of input data sets that we train our software on, but ultimately it, the 
the counties are satisfied when they test the system on their own data and compare that with the results of their you know their manual processes and do comparisons and things like that and it's also a reason why it's it we i you know started off with this conversation of calling an assistive technology so it, there's not as much emphasis or any in this case with trying to get the software and completely rely on it a hundred percent uh so it is it is a another a set of eyes um, that a, a good portion or a reasonable portion of uh, uh, ballots can go through, but is by no means the, the, the full set of eyes. Okay. So, I mean, do you disclose, I mean, what kind of error rates does your signature software have? Uh, the error rates themselves are going to be dependent on the amount of automation. So we do provide the uh, confident, we do operate on, a, on the concept of a confidence score that over an over entire set of representative data, we can plot that. We, we call it internally, or it's called a reject curve typically, is we plot the reject curve based off of the percentage of accepted uh, ballots, or in this case, accepted signatures versus the ones that are rejected. And so we can plot the error curve. So for instance, at, within our own data sets, we, have, we, we can achieve about a 70 to 75% automation rate, holding at about a 98% accuracy rate or 2% error. Uh, and you know that error rate can be you know halved. Of course, there's a corresponding reduction in the amount of automation, and which is why again the the counties that are using the software will adjust that error rate very low. So they're looking at trying to beat the error rate of a human, uh, which is all over the place basically, but well trained humans in terms of looking at signatures and, and things like that. So they're really trying to they're focusing it on beating that, which means there's a downward adjustment on the amount of ballots that can actually be processed completely with the software. Okay. So positioning this software as more of an assistant, you know, human assistant, you know, that's a, that is a really much more forgiving environment compared to something that I'm writing about is more of an autonomous driving, right? I mean, that's, a, that's an entirely different uh, scale. And yeah. yet, when you talk about AI, uh, you have to consider that because AI doesn't know what it is doing, mm -hmm. it actually completely lacks the human common sense. In other words, that in you do the signature verifications, uh, do you actually identify, what, what do you identify as a potential edge cases or corner cases? I mean, that's a DPI thing was kind of interesting. I had never thought about that. That's a, that's a good one, but it's like, uh, if the signature was, uh, I don't know, was 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 stained by something, or the uh, the uh, the ink was, um, I don't know, there was a story about sharpies, but uh, anyway, <laughs> that. <laughs> but um, what do you consider as a potential uh, corner cases that could trip up the uh, signature verification software? Well, um, certainly the DPI one is is a, from a fundamental perspective on performance, uh, probably the biggest one. Um, the, the most it's going to be the most common. So if we want to look for outliers and things like that, uh, the software, you know, just to be very honest, doesn't do as well with highly skilled forgeries. Um, so you can fool the software just like you can a human being, an expert. 
if you are a, an expert at, at at forging signatures or you have that ability. You know, I, I was just watching the movie um, Catch Me If You Can, right, which is all about check fraud. And you know, I was thinking, hmm, that would be really an interesting case to see if to get some of those old, uh, art, you know, the, the artifacts of what he did. And, and uh, you know, was it Frank, uh, uh, whatever, I can't remember his last name, but um, and see if the software would have been able to pick those up. But uh, you know the the level of of skill that a forger would have is you know definitely there. You know and and I, and that gets back to the input data sets, right? Because having access to the full range of forged signatures and all the different types of use cases and everything like that, it we're just never going to be able to boil that ocean, so to speak. So you know it is, and, and again, that's basically the performance of the software is is. It's determined by the um, the input data sets and the representativeness of those data sets to be able to do that. So I would say, you know, the sk- the highly skilled forager is one area where I I just think is they're just going to find loopholes all day long. Um, but uh, you know, in in most cases, that's pretty rare, right? Can you tell us that uh, how many states or which states are actually already using your piece of software? Um, I, let's let's see states. I want to say we're in 11 states right now and in about uh, upwards of 70 counties. Um, so it's, you know, yeah, don't, you can fact check me on that, but it, it, it's somewhere around that number. Um, obviously, the states that are 100% uh, vote by mail, like Nevada, like Colorado, um, I would say Oregon, I think, is one of them, utilize our software. So we're in a, a pretty good, uh, we're in, you know, obviously a large number of those uh, counties within those states. And increasingly, we're starting to move into other states that are traditionally kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say laggards, but are just adopting the technology. So I know Florida, one county in Florida is using our software as well, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. We don't want to, we don't want to have that uh, revisit of 2000 where they had the hanging chads, right? I think that, I think they're big adopters of that. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it, I mean, and, and I can say that the amount of interest agenda uh, by uh, what happened with the pandemic and everything was just amazing in, with respect to this type of technology. Do you have recommendations for best practices for the, uh, um, the municipalities that uh, adopt the techniques um, in terms of, uh, for instance, using higher resolution DPI, uh, how many, you know, what percentage of ballots they should use, should uh, run this on, uh, what to do with the ballots afterwards, um, how, how they should properly use this technology most effectively? Well, we can certainly, and we do offer best practices from a technical level. So those things mm-hmm. about DPI and, and testing data and, and uh, making sure that they have an adequate amount of, of sample data that they can use to test it on their own systems and arrive at the proper confidence thresholds that they want to use to control for error. Um, we typically will not be involved in best practices to the overall p- workflow. And that's just because we're not the experts when it comes to vote by mail. Um, it, it's, and ultimately, uh, you know, the performance is, is determined on production data. Um, so we support our partners, uh, these vote by mail systems partners, to be able to educate these counties on the, how, you know, how ASV works, how you should optimize for it and tune it. It's ultimately their decision on how much of that 
uh, how much of, of those ballots are automated or fully automated versus what goes to a manual process or things like that. And for that, they look at best practices from the states that have been operating for several years in this in this method. I think there's the National Vote at Home Alliance or Coalition um, that offers a whole lot of really good guidance and, and things regarding best practices. So your company name actually popped up in several articles that I read about this uh, the whole vote my mail thing. Um, are you the only gaming town? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, I think that we know of some competition out there. Definitely with the advent of machine learning and cloud-based machine learning and deep learning, I, it's something that organizations or, or those that have a technical wherewithal can solve. Um, if they have the data, and if they, I mean, it's really again, it's all right at having the representative data sets and and doing that. And, you know, there's obviously the art of knowing what features to focus on and things like that. Um, the, but yeah, to, back to the point, there are at least to my knowledge two other organizations or companies that offer this software, but we have been in the market the longest. And so we've been able to foster those relationships with, you know, the banks that are using our software that really provide that kind of uh, good housekeeping seal of approval, so to speak. Right, right. Um, is there any hardware uh, requirements in order to run your software? Uh, really, no. Um, I think increasingly with computer vision, there's this desire to move to, uh, you know, different types of, of chipsets and things like that, right? Uh, but no, we we still operate on standard Intel-like uh, CPUs using off-the-shelf hardware. Uh, so the requirements really are driven by throughput, um, right? So we have minimum requirements, but typically on a you know a two-core, you know three gigahertz machine, you can process you know signatures in sub-seconds. So it's a pretty quick process there. Again, that was Greg Council a VP at Periscript, talking about the company's technology for verifying ballot signatures. The computer industry knows that results are only as good as the data. The phrase, garbage in, garbage out, has been traced back to at least the 1950s. And if you squint a little, the concept might even go back to Charles Babbage himself. In more recent years, the garbage-in, garbage-out phenomenon has cropped up again in an unexpected way, as bias in AIs. Artificial intelligence systems aren't biased in and of themselves, but an AI can end up exhibiting biases that were inherent in the data they were trained on. And it's rarely a conscious thing. These biases tend to be hidden from recognition even by the people assembling the data. Famously, some facial recognition systems that originally seemed to be quite successful proved to be notably less effective at correctly identifying certain categories of people, women and people of color, for example. To put a fine point on it, the system could potentially fail to correctly identify more than half of humanity. Now, it's bad enough when your doorbell can't tell if the person on your doorstep is your brother or just some random Jehovah's Witness, but you need to get voting right. In all of our political arguments about what America is all about, this is inarguable. The point of the country, literally the entire reason for the United States of America to exist, 
is to demonstrate that people can govern themselves. And the way we've chosen to do that is by giving everyone a vote. For an American, the opportunity to vote is sacred. We were pleased when civil rights attorney Portia Allen Kyle accepted our invitation to talk about voting by mail. She is the Advocacy and Policy Counsel for the ACLU Campaign for Smart Justice and is the founder of Futura Bold, a consultancy that specializes in the politics of policy. Once again, both Junko and I participated in the interview. Do you have any stats as to how many ballots are actually rejected due to the non-matching signatures? Yeah, it's hard because it does um, vary from state to state, county to county. Um, But there is some evidence um, out of Florida that in some counties, the rejection rate could be under 1%. And in others, it can be high, you know, as high as 3%. Um, and that's, you know, based on a um, study done by the ACLU um, in partnership uh, with uh, a professor at a state university down there. Um, and so and, and it's not just what is the, the rate of rejection, um, but it's also does everybody who, you know, returns a vote by mail ballot and signs it, do all voters have, you know, a likelihood of being rejected equally? Um, and where there are disproportionate uh, rates of rejection for people of color, Um, you know, for voters who are newer, for voters, you know, where English may not be their first language, that's when we really, you know, begin to be concerned with the implementation of automated verification, signature verification. I think I read somewhere the single biggest reason for disqualification of mailed ballots in 2016 was non-matching signature. Do you agree? It's, you know, if it, it depends on the state, um, but it usually is in a top, you know, de- definitely top five, often, you know, top two reason for ballot rejections. Um, that, you know, if there is one that, you know, is more, it's often ballots that arrive late in states that don't accept them after election day. Um, and so usually there's, you know, a lot of those ballots. And then, you know, those where there is some type of error, whether it is a signature or something else, um, you know, as, as a part of the ballot as to, why reason, as to why ballots get rejected. What specific concerns do you have in regards to the use of AI in the signature verification software? Yeah, I mean, so I'll give a little bit of background um, just about me. You know, before I came to the voting space, um, I, you know, did a lot of work um, on pretrial and uh, pretrial justice and bail reform. And one of the hot issues there is the use of, you know, algorithms and determining, you know, risk of uh, people in terms of um, whether they're able to make bail, whether they're, you know, able to be released and on what conditions, et cetera. Um, And the concerns there are, you know, really around, um, you know, algorithmic discrimination and, you know, that because of the bad data of the criminal justice system, which represents years upon years of, um, tilted outcomes with regards to some groups, that all of that gets embedded in the algorithm. And here in the voting space, it really isn't that much different. And unfortunately, this is an area um, where usage of um, algorithms to verify signatures is a little bit ahead of the law <laughs> that regulates it. Um, there, there aren't standard regulations. It's not captured, you know, anything that's been captured by the, you know, um, regulations of the Federal Election Commission. And, you know, states vary. Um, it's often left up to the counties 
um, to determine whether they're going to use the software and then how they are going to use it. Um, and so you see a lot of um, variation. And that I think is you know, those concerns um, and implementation have become even more acute because there are so many more places that are using the software. You know, according to the company um, that is, you know, the as far as we know, the top purveyor of, you know, automated verification software, they started out in the banking industry where the, you know, concern is a little bit different, right? Um, you know, you have a fundamental right to vote. You don't necessarily have a fundamental right to, you know, a, a, your debit card not being rejected at the, at the register. And so, you know, the, the use of software there is like, yes, accuracy is helpful. It's really annoying as a customer when your, you know, card gets rejected for no reason. And part of that is, you know, perhaps they think there's, you know, some type of fraudulent activity because your signature is different. But what that means in the voting space is that, you know, people's like fundamental rights, you know, to vote, like you aren't able or being blocked from exercise. And so, that is concerning because of the lack of regulation. Um, the stakes are very high uh, if things go wrong, right? Um, and it is reliance on a public or, or on a private company, not subject to transparency, not subject to public auditing, you know, not subject to other regulations, you know, um, not required to you know audit by demographics to even monitor the demographics of the data that the algorithm was trained on. And so if we, you know, kind of know that the stakes are so high, then it, you know, is really um, concerning when there are so many protections um, that, that people have been pushing for and other advocacy uses such as pretrial that, you know, just don't exist in this area. Do you make a distinction between um, the signature verification uh, technology and the user. Uh, so in my mind, I'm thinking of an analogy, a tool versus how you use it. Um, you know, you wouldn't hand a chainsaw to somebody without telling them how to use it first. <laughs> or, you know, or, or, you know, making sure that they're not like apt to just like, you know, start waving it around. By the same token, um, do you have, do you separate the concerns between what may be inherent biases built into the tools and inherent biases in the people that are using them in the election board? Yeah. So I think, um, that those concerns perhaps both exist, um, mm -hmm. but are separate. Right. So on the one hand, we would want to make sure that we have an algorithm that is, um, well, number one, transparent, right, where the data is available, where people can, you know, kind of check the math, right, like look under the hood a little bit. Um, and, you know, to, to check to make sure that there's um, no groups are more likely to, you know, have false negatives, right, or, you know, no groups are um, more likely to, you know, ha um, have their signature rejected for whatever reason it is. But also, you know, any kind of robust evaluation of the algorithm by its nature needs to understand how people interact with it. And so, you know, we need to understand that if a signature has been rejected, um, I guess let me back up a little bit. Some uh, election administrators um, have adopted uh, procedures where if a signature is rejected, then a human looks to verify it. 
And what we know about signature matching in general is it, it's not a science. Right? Um, and so, yeah. you know, it, it's not a science on top of, you know, the fact that we're not sure how people are interacting. Like if it gets rejected, if people are like, well, you know, th- this is the, you know, real fancy software. If it says it doesn't match, then yeah, I guess it doesn't match. Right. Um, and if there, we're not sure if there's any amount of training that can overcome that just because we don't do it <laughs> and no one is required to. And so both end up being an issue um, in the scheme of things. And that's, you know, it's for that reason that inserting a human into the process doesn't solve the potential downfalls of the algorithm. Do you have a set of of recommendations or safeguards that you would like to see um, first as regards to the algorithm and then as regards to using a signature, like a, a technological signature verification system? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and who knows what a fully robust, you know, system would look like in terms of regulation, but I think that we do know from other areas some, you know, kind of bare minimum standards that we should have. And the first one is really about transparency. Um, you know, as, insofar as election officials who are, you know, public government officials, um, you know, are using um, these software to facilitate, you know, voting, um, we should know what the algorithm is. We should know, you know, be able to see what the data is. It should be, you know, publicly inspectable, verifiable, and able to be audited. Um, you know, it should be, uh, before anyone is able to adopt it, it should be required that such an algorithm is trained on data that includes demographics um, so that we can see the potential outcomes on different voters. And not you know, kind of run-of-the-mill demographics, but demographics that we know to be important in the voting context. And so, you know, younger um, kind of first time voters or student voters whose signatures may, by definition, change over time as they're still perfecting their handwriting um, and getting more accustomed to, to writing it. Right. Um, you know, voters who are, you know, perhaps new citizens where English isn't their first language and perhaps not their written language. Um, you know, voters, even as, you know, technology in other places catches up, you know, um, requirements for there to be a wet signature, um, as opposed to, you know, we've all used the pin pads where, um, you know, what you write, no matter your best effort, just doesn't really look like what it does on paper. Um, and so when you're comparing what is on a digital pin pad to what is, you know, captured on, on your ballot, that there may be some discrepancies there. And, you know, there should be processes to um, update and keep maintained and, you know, capture different types of signatures um, for voters if that is the mechanism to be used. Um, and I kind of want to put a pin in that in that it is not, um, there has been a trend towards signature matching as the lesser of an evil when compared to voter ID. And that we know voter ID c- creates barriers to access and that as a compromise um, many places have, you know, um, tried to ensure election security um, through measures such as signature matching. Um, but in a world where we know that fraud is virtually non-existent, um, signature matching still constructs barriers. You know, it just I don't want it to be a given that, you know, we need to match signatures, whether using a software or doing it, you know, by hand um, in order for votes to be valid. Is it a stark choice between having no safeguard mechanism 
or using a mixture of safeguards or adopting something else entirely. Yeah, and I this may look different. I I'm not sure just because of the variation of, you know, voters across the country. I mean, different states have mm-hmm different voting blocks, right? And so, you know, there mm-hmm. there won't yeah, be yeah. a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, but I do think that we should, you know, be open to, um, especially for states where it is already very hard to obtain a vote-by-mail ballot, right? Like, where where yeah, you can't, yeah. you know, just sign up. Some states, you know, require witnesses. Some states require, you know, social security numbers or driver's licenses or, or whatever it is that it is often the case where this is just, another thing and not the only thing. Um, And so we should be really cognizant of, on the whole, how each of these different safeguards, you know, that that we're implementing can combine to create um, real barriers. I mean, for example, Mm -hmm. there there was a a woman in California who um, found out that her that her vote, you know, wasn't accepted because the signature didn't match. you know, and she was reached out to, you know, with, with regards to the ballot. And, you know, what, what she said was, well, I have arthritis. And so I could not fill out this ballot. Uh, my son filled it out, right, and signed my name. So it's me, but, you know, that, that signature won't match. And so we'll need to, you know, really think about, even in terms of accommodations for, you know, people where writing is, you, you shouldn't need to have to write to right. cast your ballot, right? right? There should be ways in which, uh. you know, we can do this and you can still assure that your vote has been counted. Um, and I think, you know, we may not know those ways now, but we should be open to it as an electoral system as we're thinking about how to make it easier to access democracy. Yeah. And if not, tech should be regulated. <laughs> yeah. So there's an interesting, you know, we, we talked to a, a company that um, that does the signature verification, and um, they said something interesting: the that you, you the system improves when it has more data to work from. So, in other words, um, it, it works well when you already have several signatures to check against. And there are places where you might sign. You might have to sign up when you first register to vote. Um, he was saying that you might have signed some documents when you got your driver's license. But here's the interesting thing that I wanted to bring up. He said driver's license bureaus often have really poor poor technology they have they have when they take a picture of your signature it's a it's a low resolution not very clear signature and it makes it difficult to it he says that you can compensate for it but you know the preference is not to have to compensate right um now listening to you here it occurs to me that you know if we want to not if you if the preference is not to have to force a signature in order to allow a vote, but you have a technology that could help, but it needs more data, that to me sets up a a tension uh, between having more data on record, more signatures on record, and maybe not having the record in the first place. I don't know. Is the, do you, 
do you sense that that's a tension and is, are there, what, what do you do with that tension? Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, you know, part of that is one reason why it's problematic, right? I mean, there, there's somewhat of a built in, uh, you know, bias against younger or newer voters um, mm-hmm. or, you know, people that haven't been, uh, you know, the, in, in some places, the number of, uh, you know, black people who don't, for example, have a government issued ID is as high as 25 percent. Mm-hmm. Right. And so. You know, if if you need to have been in another system over a course of years for your signature to be accurate, right, or more accurate, yeah. um, you know, there there's a built-in bias against you know people who are newer to the system, against people who, um, you know, are per, who mm-hmm. perhaps have been cut out of the system for a number of different reasons. You know, that that inherently is the tension, and on, and on top of the fact that you know this is um, a technology that is procured and implemented by elections officials who have zero control over how the DMV does their business. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if in order for it to be accurate in one side, the other side needs the requisite technology, you know, in order to capture um, good quality signatures, there's going to be, um, yeah, you're kind of like setting yourself up for failure, right? And without what one way that you know, again, kind of technology getting ahead of regulations, you know, one way to do that is regulations that outline the quality of signature that should be captured on the licenses, right? And, you know, kind of match match that to, uh, you know, signatures, the quality of signature that should be run through the software. And arguably, you know, perhaps signatures that are that low quality, I am not sure, um, but, you know, I, I would be curious to ask um, some of the proprietors of the algorithms whether those should even be run through the software. Um, like, how much does that contribute to fine-tuning, you know, and refining the algorithm to begin with? Yeah, yeah it's, you know, talking about, speaking of transparency, you know, it's easy to say, well, transparency is needed, right? I mean. Every AI discussion ends there, but I'm always curious that. Well, how, how do you how how as a lawyer? I mean, how how would you like to see the transparency implemented or explained to you? I'm not talking about explainable AI. I'm talking about what test results or what validation are you looking for? So I would love to know the kind of effectiveness of the algorithm, right? The accuracy by demographic. Um, before, you know, it is implemented. Um, because we can, you know, compare that to the voting block that is in a particular jurisdiction. It could very much be the case that some algorithms work better on some jurisdictions that are closer to the training data than they do on others. But then that, you know, knowing that information, um, you know, making sure there aren't too many false positives or negatives, um, you know, compared to comparable over demographics can really give some insightful information. Um, You know, I think we would also, I I mean, I would also want to know the composition of the training data. I think that can also, you know, give some indication if you have, you know, for example, um, no, um, if, if everyone in your training data is a native English writer, then, you know, like that is something we, you know, probably want to know um, up front 
and, and, and be able to kind of think through and adjust for and really probably send you back to the baseboard to get a bigger sample that, you know, includes um, those who don't write English. And so, you know, and so starting with transparency by saying, what is the algorithm? Make the data public, you know, tell us your, uh, from your own tests, how, you know, what are, what are your results um, in terms of the efficacy here um, would, would be a good start from a regulatory perspective. Yeah. Or build some kind of benchmarking, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, I think what really struck me is that the, just because we have this automated software of signature verification doesn't mean that this should actually, you know, it's it's a given, right? I mean, it's 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 not a poll tax, but you're actually putting up the barrier for people to be for people's uh, ballots to be counted. So you need to be mindful of uh, the that what you're doing with your software. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's, it's just another area where there are already valuable civil rights lessons that we've learned from AI <laughs> in other contexts that, you know, at this point, it, it'd be good to get ahead of it so that we don't need to experience it. You know, sometimes people say, well, show me the data where these outcomes have occurred. In this situation, you know, the more data we have that says, you know, that um, signatures have been disproportionately rejected, the more that means that, you know, people have literally been disenfranchised and not able to exercise their fundamental right to vote. Um, and so it's, you know, a bit of an area where, you know, maybe we shouldn't wait until we know for certain how discriminatory <laughs> the algorithm can be and get ahead with some of the protections we know work better in other areas. Yep. All right. Very good. It was uh, wonderful to talk to you, Portia. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This has been interesting yeah. and fun. That was Portia Allen Kyle, a lawyer and public policy expert. We'd like to thank both Allen Kyle and Greg Council from Periscript for coming on the podcast. And that is your weekly briefing for the week ending November 13th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at www.eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. If you just go to our homepage at eetimes.com, click on the button that says radio. This podcast is produced by AspenCore Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. Just a, a question about um, the nature of signatures themselves. And I'm going to pick an example that is completely and utterly at random. Um, Donald Trump for example, uh, signs his name, has a really famous signature, and to me it looks like there are four extra M's in his last name. What do you think about that? What, what, what does your system make of somebody who, like, say, exaggerates their, their signature? <laughs> Come on, Greg. Um, you're not, you're not going to dodge this one, are you? It, it, no. Hey, our software is completely unbiased, right? So, 
Uh, I mean, we, and, it, and in fact, for any machine learning, you want to remove the bias out of there. So it's not going to do anything with those with those additional M's provided that right. the authentic signatures. You know, that they have good authentic reference signatures, but it's going to look at other types of strokes and features and things like that. It's not going to fixate over uh, a, a couple of extra M's or anything like that. Uh, you know, on our handwriting recognition side, oh, yeah, we would we would puke all over that. <laughs> <laughs>